Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Wow, there's hecklers already at 6 a.m. Good morning. For those of you I haven't met, my name's Mark Cool, and I've been a part of the um, Man Challenge world for like 10 plus years now. It kind of feels like a lifetime sentence at this point. Um, no, it's been great. And for about the last six or seven years, I uh, had a chance to lead a table, but mercifully and through the Holy Spirit, uh, my good buddy Louis Romero called me last summer and said, hey, I think I'd like to do more. And I said, boy, do I have a deal for you. You could lead this table. So um, we just love Man Challenge here. And I, Chris Morgan, he said, hey, I need you to, or I'd like you to do announcements, but I need you to make sure that, you know, people know that, that you're not perfect. And I'm like, well, since I know a lot of the room, that won't be a stretch for most of them. Um, but I, I came to Christ really early in life, but kind of not by my own choice. So I grew up in the Lutheran church, and for those of you who are not familiar with that, that's very similar. Um, you like stand up and sit down when you're supposed to, and you go through confirmation and first communion. There's absolutely nothing bad about it. But I remember thinking later in high school or early college, like, huh, I don't know if I'm really going to stick with this uh, if there's not more to it than that. And so about 20 years ago this month, um, trying to impress my, at the time, college girlfriend's parents, I showed up at Southeast and really never looked back. It was, uh, it was the first time I had heard someone talk about, hey, this deal can be about a personal relationship with Christ and how to be more like Christ every day and how to go after people one at a time. So like all of you, just to confirm what Chris Morgan wanted you to know, we're far from perfect. But uh, for our beginner Christians, and I still fancy myself 20 years in as a beginner Christian, I would tell you, um, that John 16:33 is probably, it's in my top three of verses, but it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So if you're new to man challenge or new to faith in general, just remember you didn't sign up for all sunshine and puppy dogs and roses, but it'll be worth it in the end. Uh, one of the things I love about Man Challenge, by a show of hands, how many people have been here more than five years, coming to Man Challenge more than five years? What about more than 10 years? All right, yeah, I know. Uh, some of us are just gluttons for punishment. But one of the things I love is that we live into our values, and one of our values is investing in others. And so you'll be hearing a ton more about this, but we, we have three main verticals in men's ministry that we're going after. This does not mean we don't believe in other things, so please don't take it as that, but they're missions. Uh, trafficked women, and single mothers and widows. So I am running the single mothers and widows vertical, uh, which will be kicking off really soon uh, with the generosity challenge. Everybody, I hope, has taken part. If you've been here before in the generosity challenge, that'll be coming up. We're also going to have a Valentine's Day event for widows. We're going to have a spring clean event for widows. We're going to have an amazing back-to-school bash for single moms and their kids. And so we, we want you to be a part of all those things. We're going to make it so easy. One of those, you just have to sign up and do nothing else. 
but we would love to have you be a part of that and live into our values of investing in others. But now to the main event, we're going to bring out to the stage the often imitated but never duplicated Grant Roth. Come on out, Grant. You can, you can clap for him. I mean, he's good. He's good. Thank you. Hey there. It is a bad sign when you have to ask them to clap. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to start with the lightning round. No warm-up whatsoever. Married, single, kids, no kids. If married, wife's name. Go ahead. Okay, uh, I am married to Veronica. She goes by Ronnie. Uh, Boy, I bet that's confusing yes, with yeah, Cordray. That yeah. was the whole joke for a long time. When's the time. last time you texted him That's why something? I left men's ministry. I just couldn't take it anymore. I okay. was like, yeah, I've got to separate those two worlds a little okay. bit. So. All right, and um, when did you start at Southeast? Uh, about two, a little over two years ago. In your fancy business card title? Uh, right now I'm the preaching ministry associate, which is just a... I, it just, I do whatever they tell me to do in the preaching department. Okay, I was about to say, when you said that, I was going to be like, what in the heck does that mean? Um, favorite Halloween candy? Uh, give me like a, a Reese's pumpkin. Ooh. Or whatever the Reese's thing is during that season. I would tend to agree. Yeah. The chocolate to peanut butter ratio yeah. is way better when it's formed mm -hmm. into a pumpkin, Christmas tree, etc. This will explain a lot of my weight issues, <laughs> that I feel that passionate pre-615 about Reese's. Uh, do you have a least favorite candy? Do I have a least favorite candy? Uh, maybe like, oh, what are those called? Good and Plenty's, like the little licorice candy. Ah, okay, that's, I, that's fair. Uh, are you a cat guy or a dog guy? Uh, I don't really, we don't have pets. Okay. Uh, I had a cat that ran away when I was a kid, so maybe there's some like abandonment <laughs> issues. So I don't love either one. Or maybe Dogs God was are preferable, I would say. Uh, okay, and if you had to choose between Chris or Ronnie, who would you choose? Wh what Chris are we talking about? Morgan. Oh, boy. You really don't have to answer that. That yeah. was a total no, joke. No, I won't. I was expecting more laughs for both of us okay. than that. All right, let us, before we get started, we're going to pray for Grant, and then we're going to let him take it off. Lord, thank you for uh, this day and the fact that we're all here and living on mission in your world, and thank you for the men in this room at a time in this country where we have a crisis for men. We ask you to keep us all focused on... Um, loving people like Jesus one at a time. Lord, we thank you for Grant and his skill and talent that you've put in him uh, to, to advance your kingdom through him. And Lord, we pray that people would slow down, which is probably the hardest thing we've got uh, these days up against us, and really let you speak through Grant so that people can walk out of here uplifted and ready to make an impact on their communities and in their own homes. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. All right, good morning, guys. It is uh, good to be back here with you guys. It's uh, been sweet to see some faces that I used to see more frequently. Um, and so I'm really happy to be back. Uh, I brought this Bible along with me uh, this morning, and I've had this Bible for a good chunk of my life, for several years now. Uh, and we've been through a lot together. Like, as I look at this Bible, it's a little bit worn out and everything. And even as I look at it, I can hear a, like, southern grandma's voice in my mind saying, a Bible that's fallen apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Uh, and I'm like, well, I hope that's true about me and about my Bible here. Uh, but this Bible has gone overseas with me on mission trips. It used to sit in the pulpit while I would preach each week to a small country church when I was in college. I think I've even used this Bible to teach at Man Challenge before. It's not even the Bible I use uh, anymore, but uh, it means a lot to me because we've been through a lot together. I've had lots of good experiences with this Bible. But before all of that, this, this very same Bible used to just sit on my bedside table 
uh, unopened, and it would sit there gathering dust because I was pretty convinced that I understood everything that it had to say, and I wasn't entirely convinced that it mattered a whole lot to my everyday life. I grew up in the church, and so I knew the Bible stories. I could quote some Bible verses, but I didn't think that what God's Word said really mattered a whole lot to the struggles and the dreams and the desires and the the challenges that I was just grappling with on a day-to-day basis, and maybe you feel the same way. And so it would sit there unopened, and instead of opening my Bible, I would open another tab in my internet browser to feed my addiction to pornography. And instead of taking advantage of God's word that was sitting there right next to me, I would take advantage of people socially and manipulate them or sexually, just trying to get what I want. And I really wasn't all that concerned with what this, this book said about who God was. I was more interested in what other people said about who I, who I was. But something has changed. Like, since then, something is, is different in me. And I don't stand here saying I'm a perfect person. I say the opposite. I'm not a perfect person at all. But I can look back on my life and, and, and look back at that time and, and say, things are different now than they were back then. Like, on a very practical level, I view women differently than I did 10 years ago. And I'm less full of lust or anger or pride or selfishness than I was back then. I care a whole lot less about what people think of me now than what I did back then. So something has changed in my life. I'm a different person today than I was back then. And here's why. I, th- I think it's because God's word is just really, really powerful. And I've become convinced of that just because of my own experience with God's word. But I think God's word is just really, really powerful. I've had people placed in my life at just the right time who who helped me understand God's word, who helped me see that it mattered to my life, and then helped me understand how I could like even open it for myself and read it and understand it for myself. And when they did that, my life started to change. My life is different today because God's word is really, really powerful. My perception of it changed. It's not just an archaic, outdated book that belongs on a shelf. It's a book that is relevant to our everyday lives. And in fact, I've grown to believe that because through Scripture, God reveals himself the most clearly and reveals life the way it was meant to be lived the most clearly in Scripture, that Scripture is actually the most relevant thing to real life, that it's not detached from reality. It's, it's kind of the key to experiencing life the way it was meant to be lived because that's how we come to know God personally. And all of that changed in me because a few people who handled the word well, came alongside me and and helped me understand it on a deeper level. So God's word is really, really powerful, and because of that, the way that we handle it matters. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about today, really. Uh, Paul, as he is talking to his protege Timothy here, as we keep walking through the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is going to echo that truth, that because God's word is powerful, the way that we handle it matters a lot. And that's true for Timothy, a guy who's, who's teaching like a congregation, a, a group of people, like he's teaching all the time. But it's true not just for him, but for each person in this room. Like even if you're not a teacher or a church leader of some sort, the way you handle the word matters. The way that you talk to uh, your coworkers about Jesus and the Bible as you're doing that, the way you handle the word matters. And when your kids are asking you questions about what you believe, the way you handle the word matters. 
or as you sit with a, a cup of coffee and your Bible open, just trying to understand what it says and read it for yourself. The way you handle the word matters. And so if you plan on, in the future, reading the Bible or hearing someone teach the Bible or talking to anyone about the Bible, then what Paul says today is, is fairly important. You have a free pass to check out if you don't plan on, on reading the Bible or, or listening to someone teach the Bible or talking to someone about the Bible in the future. You can go ahead and close your eyes and go to sleep. But, but if you do, what Paul says here matters a lot. And so Paul kind of looks at the first century church and he says, hey, Timothy, like, you know, and you can see that there are people in the early church who care more about power and platform building. They care more about convenience than they do about being faithful to just the simple gospel truths and and to God's word. And that's terrible for their souls, but it's also terrible for the people that they're influencing. And so Timothy, for the sake of your own soul and for the, the sake of the people that you interact with and influence, you've got to handle the word well. And that's Paul's basic message in our text today. And so we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. So if you want to flip there, I'll give you a second to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. And Paul is going to give Timothy, and he's going to give us, as we kind of sit down alongside our brother Timothy here, We can just listen to our wise, older mentor and friend Paul give us a few principles for handling the word well. And then I think later in this passage, he gives us, honestly, a a few perks for handling the word well, kind of the purpose for handling the word well, uh, and shows why it's best for us to just handle God's word with with faithfulness and, and humility. So first, he gives us a few principles for handling the word well in verses 14 to 19. I'll go ahead and read that, uh, and then we'll walk back through it. Paul says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. But nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And so Paul gives Timothy some principles there for handling the word well, and I think they're helpful things for us to keep in mind just as we read the Bible or talk about the Bible or try to teach the Bible to people. They're just helpful as we handle the word of God. So I think the first principle we see is in verse 14 there. I think Paul sort of says, hey, it's better to be reminded about what matters than to be right about what doesn't. It's better to be reminded about what matters than to be right about the things that really don't have all that much eternal significance. He says, remind them of these things in verse 14. And I think he's kind of referencing back to verses 11 to 13 where he lays out sort of that basic gospel message. Scott Long was here last week, and he did an awesome job. I listened to that. And he walked through that, that text where Paul says, hey, if we died with Jesus, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, though, he remains faithful because he can't disown himself. And it's just that simple gospel message that 
through Jesus, we are restored into right relationship with God. And it's not based on our own faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to us. It's that basic gospel message that Paul looks at and says, Timothy, like I know the temptation is to talk about all these other things, but remind them of these things. Remind them of the simple gospel truths because they matter a lot. And I think a lot of life and, and ministry, uh, but just life in general, is reminding people of stuff that they already know or being reminded of things you already know because important things are just worth talking about over and over again. I just think that's true. I, I think it's true in uh, like my childhood. My dad had lots of different like phrases or sayings that he would just whip out all the time and just say uh, on a loop, like repeat throughout my whole childhood. But the one I remember the most, he would always do this. Like I'd be sitting uh, at the dinner table, we'd be eating dinner and my dad would just kind of look across the table with love in his eyes and he'd say, Grant, you know, you're a pretty good kid. And he'd pause for dramatic effect. And then he'd say, when you're asleep, and he'd like slap his knee and be like, oh, it's so good. And to him, in his mind, that was the first time he had ever made the joke, every time he made the joke. And he would laugh and have such a good time with it. Uh, and, and so he just did that all the time. That's just a message I always heard from my dad. Um, and this is a little bit morbid, but I've been thinking like, if, so when my dad passes away, I've been thinking like if I speak at his funeral, I'll probably stand there and say something like, Dad, you, you are a really good uh, father when you're dead. Oh, but, and I'm not sure how it would go over, but I've been toying with it and I think I've still got time. Uh, but I think if I did that, if I did that, my dad would probably like pop up from his casket and be like, nice one, son. He'd be really proud. Um, but my dad would just say that to me all the time. Grant, you're a pretty good kid when you're asleep. And I always knew he was like joking and he was really trying to send me the message like, hey, I'm proud of you. You're a good son. I, I like you. You're, you're a good kid. And I, I got that message pretty clearly, but it became more and more ingrained in my mind and in my soul over time because my dad said it over and over again. He reminded me of it. So I'm more convinced now that my dad likes me than I was when I was five years old because I've heard the message over and over again. I've been reminded of it. And Paul's talking to Timothy saying, hey, that's what you got to do with, with the people you lead, with the people that you influence. You've got to remind them of the basic truths. And I think that's, that's helpful for us, even as we just want to be faithful followers of Jesus. It's helpful for us even to be reminded of the simple, basic truths over and over again, because that's what forms our soul over time. It's good to be reminded of the really important things. And I don't know that Paul realized he was doing this, but I think in some ways he's addressing a, a tension or a struggle in our culture, in our church today, where not in our church necessarily, but in the church, where we view the gospel or like the basic message of what Jesus came to do. We view that as like the training wheels for the Christian faith. It's like some of the, the older Christians or some people who have been following Jesus longer will look back and say, well, like, the gospel or the, the basic message of what Jesus came to do, well, that's sort of like, that's for the new immature believers, like the little baby believers that are still so little and cute. But one day they'll grow up and be big and strong and be able to think about deeper spiritual matters like, like mature Christians. But I think that's a, just a misunderstanding of what the gospel is and how all-encompassing the good news of Jesus really is. J.D. Greer says, Growth in Christ is never going beyond the gospel, 
but just going deeper into it. And so maturity as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't look like being able to articulate your eschatological views. Uh, it's, it's not like musing about your favorite 19th century theologians. It's not about knowing more stuff necessarily. It's about believing the message of Jesus on a deeper and deeper level that leads you to look more and more like him over time. Maturity as a follower of Jesus is not going beyond the gospel to something more complex. It's going deeper into the gospel and seeing how that impacts every facet of your lives. But since the beginning of the church, believers, that they've been tempted. We've been tempted to fixate and focus on things that really don't matter that much. Paul says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. And he uses a word for quarreling that's like... Uh, almost always used in like a hand-to-hand combat kind of way. It's talking about a physical altercation of some sort. And it's easy to like think, well, they were just dealing with like old, ancient, uh, just like controversies and things like that. But I think we do it in the church today. Like we have the opportunity to engage in these sorts of word fights is almost the idea that Paul takes this word meaning just like a real physical fight and says like, don't do that with your words. Don't get into word fights. But even every week at Man Challenge, at your tables, you've got the opportunity to like, exchange a few jabs with, with someone at your table who interprets a passage differently than you do. Uh, and, and you've got opportunities to engage in word fights like that. Or you can deliver your, your annual uppercut at the Thanksgiving dinner table when you uh, talk to, like you intentionally start a conversation with your relatives that you know is going to become like heated theologically uh, because your relatives disagree with you, but your hope is that over the next year, your relatives will go home and rethink their positions and come back and be godlier next year. And that's the hope. Or you can deliver the crane kick, which none can defend by uh, hopping on Twitter and quoting someone's tweet and tearing their beliefs to shreds so that all your followers can see that and then blocking that person so that they can't defend themselves or their, their position. You can get into word fights if you look for it. The opportunities present themselves all the time. And Paul says, it's just not worth it. Like everyone leaves those sorts of word fights just uh, a little beat up and bruised and a little more hurt than they need to be. And so it's not worth it. Don't engage in or quarrel about words. And so Paul gives us that, that principle saying it's better to be reminded about the stuff that matters than it is to be right about the stuff that doesn't. So I think that's the first principle. I think the second one we see in verse 15, uh, I think in verse 15 there, uh, he sort of conveys this idea that the acceptance of God is worth more than the convenience of the world. So verse 15, he says, do your best to present yourself as one approved. And the word that he uses there for approved is kind of like the idea of being acceptable. And a lot of times it was used uh, to describe a coin. So in like the ancient world when a coin, and I, did, I just learned, this isn't something I, I just know. It's something I was looking at this week and I thought it was fascinating that in the ancient world, like when coins were still hot off the press and soft and moldable, people would shave a little bit of extra metal off the coin to save resources for themselves or save money for themselves. It was a little convenient for them. And then they would take that coin that didn't actually weigh the amount that it was supposed to weigh to be worth what it was supposed to be worth, and they'd take that coin and try and exchange for goods with it. And so it was a little deceitful. But when a coin weighed the amount it was supposed to weigh and was worth the amount it was supposed to be worth, it was called acceptable or approved. 
And so Paul says, that's, that's who we want to be as, as people who are handling the word of God. Timothy, that's, that's who I'm calling you to be as you handle the word of God. Be a person who doesn't shave a little bit off the edge, someone who's not really interested in convenience as much as just being honest and straightforward with the word of God. Being honest with yourself and being honest with other people about what the Bible says. You don't have to cut anything else out. Just be honest and straightforward with it. Don't cut the corners. And then he goes on and he says, you want to be a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. When Paul says correctly handles there, uh, it's a Greek word, uh, orthotomeo, and it comes from two different Greek words, so orthos and tomos. Uh, and that word orthos is like a Greek root word that we've pulled into the English language. What other words in the English language do you think might be linked to that Greek, Greek root word orthos or ortho? Orthodontist, yeah. So in, what does an orthodontist do? Like an orthodontist takes your, your teeth, puts braces on them, and starts to straighten them or align them. And so that word orthos, it essentially means to straighten or align. And so then Paul has that word, and then he has this other word, tomos, which means to be sharp. And it's used one other time in Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And a lot of you guys might know this passage. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper, tomos, than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so Paul takes a word that means straight or aligned and a word that means sharp, and he puts them together, and then he says that's how we're supposed to handle the word of God. And they're both adjectives on their own, which is kind of interesting. So straight and sharp, and, uh, or like straight and aligned, and then sharp. And that's how we handle the word of God. So every time we approach scripture, we want to straighten it and we want to sharpen it. And so he's, he's sort of saying to Timothy, like when you are teaching scripture or reading for itself, you need to make the meaning of scripture straight and clear. And then you need to make the application of scripture sharp and relevant. Because God's word, it really begins to have its effect on people. It really begins to change lives. It began to change my life when it was straight and clear enough for me to understand and sharp and relevant enough for me to apply to my life. That's when lives begin to change, when scripture is straight and sharp. And so if you're teaching or talking about the Bible, your goal just needs to be help it make sense to people and then help them see why it matters today. Help it make sense to people, help them see why it matters today. And then if you're listening to someone teach like you guys are right now, or if you're reading the Bible, <clears throat> or if you're reading, you know, I get emotional about this stuff, guys. If you're reading the Bible for yourself, your goal, just seek to genuinely understand it and then gain clarity about what it means. But don't let it be something that you just understand mentally. Let it be something that you live out practically, like you put it into practice in your life. And so there are two simple questions I think you can ask yourself uh, as you're reading God's word. And if you're taking notes, you can just write these down. Uh, what did this passage mean when it was written? What did this passage mean when it was written? And why does this passage matter today? I think those are two good questions to ask as we're wrestling with God's word and if we want to straighten it and sharpen it. Because if we understand what the passage meant when it was written, that helps us understand the author's intended meaning, which is more important than how the passage makes us feel. And then if we can understand why it matters today, it helps us put it into practice. So those two questions... What did this passage mean when it was written, and why does it matter today? But the convenience 
of the world, it kind of calls to us. It beckons us. And it entices us to highlight the parts of Scripture that align with our desires and then ignore the parts of Scripture that don't. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is kind of a, a prime example of that. He, there's a thing called a Jefferson Bible, which he didn't call it a Jefferson Bible, but uh, he essentially took the Bible and like a kindergartner doing arts and crafts, took, literally took a razor and glue and cut out the parts of Scripture that he really appreciated and then pasted them into a new book. And he, he was kind of like a naturalist. He didn't believe in anything supernatural. And he really appreciated what Jesus taught about morality. He thought he was a good teacher. So he cuts out Jesus' teachings, puts them in a new book, and then leaves out everything else that's supernatural or not easily explained. And so he cuts out all the miracle accounts and like even the resurrection accounts of Jesus, which is like the foundation of Christianity. But for Thomas Jefferson, it was really convenient because he was able to cut out the parts he didn't like and create this, this new sort of Bible for himself uh, that fit within his, his worldview, that fit within his, his box. And it was convenient for him. But Paul here says, hey, we're not called to convenience. Like as we handle God's word, the goal isn't for it to be convenient for us or for other people. The goal is to approach it and handle it in a way that is acceptable to God. That's, that's our goal because the acceptance of God is worth more than the convenience of the world. And then that third principle I think that Paul gives us here, verses 16 to 19, I think he shows us that God cares more about our faithfulness than our following. Verses 16 to 19, Paul calls out two guys by name, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and he, he kind of just says, hey, they're not handling the word well, he says, they say the resurrection has already taken place. And one thing that scripture makes really clear throughout the New Testament is that the gospel of Jesus is good news for us, not just spiritually, but also physically. Like right now, I get to experience, and you get to experience, if you're a follower of Jesus, new life spirit. Like we experience a spiritual resurrection of sorts. But we also believe that one day in the future, because God is powerful and not some distant, detached God who's detached from reality, because God is powerful, he's also going to and has already conquered death through Jesus and is going to raise us back to new physical life too. So the gospel is good news for my physical body. This body that I'm in right now, it ages. It, it's dying and deteriorating. I have been noticing some gray hairs in my head lately, which I always thought was cool. Like I was like, gray hair is cool. I kind of hope I'm like salt and pepper by the time I'm 30. But now it's happening quicker than I thought it would. And I'm like panicking. But as my body deteriorates, it, I also have hope that like my body one day will, yeah, it'll die. And I think one, one reason that I uh, sin, even now that I'm a Christian and a follower of Jesus, one reason I still sin is because I have a redeemed soul, a soul that's being restored and resurrected by Jesus, but it's, it's living in a body that is still corrupted and broken and not fully restored and redeemed. But one day I have hope that this broken body will die and Jesus or through the power of Jesus, God will raise me back to life. And you have that hope too, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we get to experience new life, not just spiritually, but also physically. And that's something that, that the New Testament makes fairly clear. But Paul says, hey, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're kind of like shaving off the edge there of the gospel saying, well, it's really just like God gives you new life in your heart. It's like a spiritual thing. And that's true, but it's more than that. 
And so they're being deceitful, kind of cutting out the parts that they know their audience is less prone to listen to. They're kind of examining their audience, realizing that, oh, more people will listen to us. More people will follow us if we make this uh, a little bit more palatable, a little easier to accept. And so they just say, hey, yeah, the, the good news of Jesus is that you get to experience new life spiritually. Yeah, but it's, it's more. And Paul says, we don't want to be like that because God cares a whole lot more about our faithfulness than who's following us. God is less interested in who's paying attention to what we say or who agrees with the things that we believe in. And he cares a whole lot more about whether or not our beliefs flow from his word. So he cares less about our faithfulness than our following. And then he goes on and he says, yeah, Timothy, there, there are some issues right now in the church. There are people who they're not handling the word very well, but before you start to feel hopeless, before you start to, to panic that everything's gonna fall apart, just remember Remember that the church wasn't built by humans. And the gospel message of Jesus isn't contingent upon human beings. It was built by God himself. It's not going to fall apart when, when people don't have the right motives because the security of the church isn't rooted in the steadiness of, of humans' faith. The church and the gospel message of Jesus, they remain unshaken because God is the one who holds them up. And, and Paul just assures Timothy of that in those verses 16 to 19 there. Uh, and, and just reminds us, honestly, that we don't have to panic. Like, we don't have to be worried about what everyone's motives are all the time, and we don't have to worry about who's even listening to us. We can just choose simple faithfulness every day to the God who has built the church up from its foundations. Simple faithfulness every day to the God who's been faithful to us. So Paul gives us those principles for handling the word well. And then I think he kind of shifts and gives us a, a few purposes or perks for handling the word well. Uh, verses 20 to 21, he says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So I think the first purpose or maybe perk of handling the word well, the reason it's good for us is because I'd rather carry something good than something gross. So Paul's using this sort of metaphor here. He, he talks about a large house and, and is talking about the church as though it's a large house. And then he talks about these vessels. And, and vessels are just like dishes or containers or tools, maybe like utensils. And some of them are made of gold and silver for special purposes. So kind of think along the lines of like the, the fancy dishes that you would use to serve a special guest in your home. And then there are some other uh, vessels or dishes or containers that are made of wood or clay for common use, which is a word that is a lot of times translated as shame for, for shameful purposes. So think along the lines of like a garbage container or like a chamber pot, like a first century toilet. And so if we're tracking with Paul's metaphor here, uh, it's kind of like he's saying, hey, the church is a large house and there are some people in the church who handle the word of God well and they are like gold and silver dishes that carry delicious food to special guests. And then on the flip side, he's saying there are also some people, um, I don't know how to say this, Timothy, there are some people in the church who don't handle the word very well, and they're kind of like um, uh, containers that are made of wood or, or clay. They don't carry uh, delicious food so much. They, I would maybe say they're just, they're full of crap, and I think that's kind of, I think that's what Paul's driving at there, that there are some people who 
are not handling the word in a way that is, is faithful. They handle it with faulty motives and communicate messed up messages. Um, and their goal with God's word isn't to like submit to it or just communicate it clearly. It's to uh, use it to kind of promote their own agenda or accomplish their, their ideas. And the way we handle God's word is what determines whether we're carrying life-changing, precious truth or just a bunch of eternally insignificant garbage. The way we handle God's word is what determines what it is that we're carrying, and I'd rather carry something good than something gross. And I think it's helpful there to wrestle with which one of those containers am I? Which one of those vessels am I? I think there there are really only two people who know. I think you and God know which one you are. Other people could guess, but really it's, it's... something that only you and God know. Am I a vessel for honorable uses or dishonorable, for special purposes or for common use? What is it that I'm carrying? But I think there are a couple questions we can ask ourselves uh, to bring some clarity. First question is, when I hear God's word, does it change me or do I change it? When I hear God's word, does it change me or do I change it? And the second question to wrestle with is when people interact with me? Do they leave more sick and sinful than they were before, or do they leave nourished and refreshed? Because I think that says about a lot about what we're carrying into the lives of other people, or even from the word into our own lives. When people leave my presence, do they leave more sick and sinful or more nourished and refreshed? The way we handle God's word determines the type of vessel we are, which determines what we're carrying from the word into our own lives and into the lives of the people around us. So I'd rather carry something good than something gross. So that's that first perk. The second one and the last one here uh, is that I get to witness God's work up close. I get to witness God's work up close. Paul says those who cleanse themselves from the latter, he's saying like those who separate themselves from intentionally uh, twisting God's word and the people who are doing that and, and those who are willing to address the contaminated, contaminated motives in their own heart, those people will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So if we're willing to handle God's word faithfully in our own lives and as we teach it to other people, we have the opportunity to see God change hearts. We have the opportunity to see him change lives. And so a perk or one of the purposes of handling the word well is we get to see God work, period. And that's a good thing. But even more than that, in ways that we don't fully deserve. We get to see God work through us. You get to watch God carry out his desires in your own life as he purifies your your own heart because it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. You get to watch as your coworker starts to grasp the reality that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You get to watch as your children look beyond your love to the love of God that he has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. You get to watch as your grieving friend clings to the promise that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When we handle the word of God well, we get to watch watch God work up close. So I've had this Bible for a long time And my life is different now than it was 
10 years ago because of the way that God has chosen to work through his word and even through this Bible for me. But my life didn't begin to change until I understood what it was saying and I understood why it mattered and then I understood how I could open it up and read it for myself. That's when my life began to change and all of that took place when I encountered a couple of men who handled the word well. And so I wonder, I wonder if in your home or at work or even if in your own heart there is a harmful habit or a confused kid or a hurting heart or a weary wife or a disturbing doubt or a dormant dream or an untapped opportunity or a forgotten family, a purposeless person or a stagnant soul that is just waiting, just waiting to encounter a man who handles the word well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are gracious, um, that you are good to us, that you've included us um, in your family if, if, we, uh, yeah, if we just turn our hearts towards you and we, we submit to you, Jesus, and, and accept your grace. Um, thank you for the privilege of being a part of your family. Thank you, God, that you've revealed yourself to, to us through your word. Um, God, I just want to thank you Individually, I want to say thank you for the way that you've used your word to change my life. Um, and I pray that if there are people in this room who haven't experienced that, that you would move, uh, that you'd move in their lives, that you'd place the people in their lives uh, that will help them understand what your word says and why it matters. Um, God, I pray that people would leave this room uh, more equipped and more passionate about opening up your word to experience your presence and just know you more fully so that we can look more and more like you, Jesus. We love you and we need you desperately and we just praise you for how good you are. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.